Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me. Box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Our listener support campaign continues, and you can become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Go to patreon.greatdetectives.net. You get a monthly newsletter from me, and you also get input on key aspects of the program, including what we're doing for our uh, summer series on the amazing world of radio. So just go to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it is time for this week's episode of Dangerous Assignment. The original air date is... Uh, February 27th, 1950, and the title is White Jade Cafe. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Well, there's your plane, Steve. Warming up. Look, I don't even know where I'm supposed to go, Rule. Well, the commissioner said he'd meet us here at the airport. Uh, Steve. Steve. Here he is. Hi, Commissioner. I'll go confirm your reservation, Steve. Okay. Steve, I'll meet you right here in Macau. We haven't a minute to lose. What's this all about, Commissioner? We're going to Macau on the China coast. One of our agents is in trouble. Oh, who is it? Kurt Allison. As you know, the situation in the Orient is pretty tricky right now. Here. Look at this map. Mm-hmm. There are three areas red, blue, and shaded. Yeah. The blue area is already friendly. The shaded area is on the fence. Kurt Allison was sent to negotiate a secret verbal agreement which would bring that shaded area into our camp. I see. Somehow the interests opposed to his mission learned his identity and have him bottled up in Macau. If they can prevent him from getting his report to us by next Thursday, then we're licked. Why doesn't he contact the consul? On this kind of a mission, Steve, Kurt has no recognition. He's on his own. Uh-huh. Any idea where Kurt is in Macau? He was supposed to register at the Hotel Splendide under an assumed name. You've got to find him and get him out of the country by Thursday. Sounds like quite an order. Any line on the representatives of the opposition? We only know that one of them walks with a limp. When you get to Macau, go to the White Jade Cafe. You'll be contacted there. White Jade. Okay. Steve, I don't need to tell you the opposition won't pull any punches. Yeah. Sounds like a nice keg of nails you've opened for me. It is, but we're depending on you, Steve. Find Allison and smuggle him out of Macau by Thursday. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. The National Broadcasting Company is proud to present Dangerous Assignment. Starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places in the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another dangerous assignment. Yeah. That was my assignment, 
Go to a steamy, brawling port on the China coast and find an agent in trouble. A cinch. <laughs> well, it was Tuesday when I got to Macau. I rode a rickshaw down a narrow, crooked street and wondered what knife was coming my way out of what window. And then I got to the Splendid Hotel. The only Splendid thing about it was the name. I expected nothing, and I got worse. But the clerk in the lobby was busting out all over with civic pride. Welcome to the Splendid Hotel, sir. Will you sign the register, please? Okay. Allow me to congratulate you on your choice, sir. This is the finest hotel in Macau. Yeah? Well, there you are. Mr. Steve Mitchell, United States. Huh. Are you on vacation, Mr. Mitchell? Not exactly. I'm a newspaper correspondent. Say, incidentally, where's the White Jade Cafe? Oh. Just down the street, sir. Oh, okay. Well, better go take a look at my room. The bellboy will take you there. Right this way, sir. Okay. Yes, sir? That man who just registered here, the one who asked about the white jade. Oh, you mean Mr. Steve Mitchell? Steve Mitchell from the United States? Yes. Would you like me to announce you? Uh, no. But you... I am a friend of Steve Mitchell's. I want to surprise him a little later. Thank you. Yes, sir. This your room, sir. You like? Oh, just great. On a clear day, I'll bet you can see the other wall. Oh, yes, sir. Will there be anything else? <laughs> no, thanks. Here you are. Oh, thank you. Thank you, sir. Hmm. Hello? Steve? Kurt Allison. I saw you come in the hotel from my window, Steve. Where are you? Room 33, two floors above you. Look, I'm really in a spot, Steve. They've blocked every exit. They've got me bottled up and a man in the room next to me keeping an eye on me. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you've got to get me out of my car, Steve. Wait. What's the matter, Kurt? There's someone at the door. You got a gun? Yeah. I'll be right up. Stall him till I get there. Okay. Who is it? Marco. The man who's being paid to watch you. What? Let me in. I have something important to say to you. Okay. Just stand still a minute. I'm alarmed. Put your gun away. I want to talk business. Okay, go ahead and talk. The people who hired me are not paying me much. Perhaps if you were to offer more, I could show you how to get out of Macau and make your report by Thursday. Are you interested? I don't know. I... Batik! Alison, drop your gun. So, Marco, you would betray us. No! Hey! Oh, Alexon! Alexon, come back! Alexon! Kurt! Kurt, where are you? Uh, hey, who are you? Marco. Look, where's the American? He. he... What is it? What has happened? Oh, it is Mr. Marco. It was Mr. Marco. Who was he, anyway? He was staying in the next room next door. Where is the American who had this room? I wish I knew. Wait. The window is broken. Yeah, blood on the sill. The American who killed Marco went out the window and down the fire escape. Now, look. This is a matter for the police. Well... At that point, I could see all the threads in the fabric, but I had a strong hunch one of them was around Kurt's neck, one was around mine, and someone was pulling on the middle. Kurt had disappeared from his room, leaving a dead man behind. 
That meant the police would be turning the town upside down to find him. It also meant his mission would go out the window unless I found him first. Eh, my job was getting easier by the minute. All I had to do now was to smuggle a murder suspect out of the country. And I knew that the opposition, whoever they were, would be out to prevent that. Bartek, so you are back. You fool, you should have made sure that Allison was dead. I shot at him as he was diving out the window, but I knew I hit him. Melani, close the door. Yes, Sigrist. The fact remains, Vartik, that Allison was gone when the police arrived. I know he was wounded. He could not have gotten far. We must find Allison. We do not have much time. What do you mean? This American, Steve Mitchell. He must have been sent to Macau to help good Allison. We know that their point of contact is right here at the White Jade. If Steve Mitchell turns up here at the White Jade Cafe, Milani will contact him. Then we will know for sure that he is the one. And then it is very simple, Sigrist. When we are sure he is the one, Patik will kill him. What would you like, sir? Well, I'll... Oh, an American, eh? Nah, Brooklyn. <laughs> Give me a scotch and soda. Oh, yes, sir. Quite a place you've got here. Oh, sure. We have almost everything here at the White Jane. There is a roulette wheel upstairs. Oh, beauty. And a piano player downstairs. Oh, beauty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone notices Milani. But right now, Mac, Milani seems to be noticing you. So I see, Joe. Oh, here you are, sir. Thanks. Thank you. Nice. The piano? Well, that's nice, too. I was hoping you would come over. Well, I couldn't very well turn down your invitation. You play well. Thank you. You are Steve Mitchell. Why, yeah. You seem surprised that I know your name. Were you not told you would be contacted here at the White Jade by one who could help you? Keep talking. I am the one. Oh, you are looking for Kurt Allison. Am I? Where is he? I do not know. He disappeared right after the man from the next room was killed. Well, you haven't told me anything I don't know yet. I think I know where he might be, Steve. Where? Come. Let's walk around. I can pretend to be showing you the roulette wheel upstairs. Lead the way. Did you see Allison before he disappeared? Yes. I was working with him. He really got himself into a spot, didn't he? Red hair and all. Yes. And he was pretty nervous about it. As you know, he registered at the hotel under an assumed name. But when he was here the night before last, a girl walked in and recognized him. She called him by his right name. He hurried her out of here at once. Any idea who the girl is? Yes. She is an American girl. And her name is Helen. Hey, Milani. Yes. A message for you. Oh? Excuse me, Steve. I will be back in a moment. Uh -huh. Why don't you try your luck at roulette while I am gone? That's an idea. Oh, I'm sorry. You, you are crowding me, sir. I didn't intend to, sir. I did. <laughs> what? You are Steve Mitchell, are you not? Yeah. Why? My name is Casca. I was instructed to contact you here at the White Jade. Oh, that's very interesting. You're looking for Kurt Allison? You know where he is? No, but I'm supposed to help you find him. You know, this has a sort of a familiar ring to it. But I think maybe you're a little late. 
I do not understand. Oh, skip it. So you've been working with Kurt Ellison, huh? Yes, up until the time he disappeared. I hope nothing has happened to him. He's a fine man. Yeah, red hair and all. Why, I thought he had brown hair. He must have dyed it. Yeah, he must have. Uh, Look, I don't think it's such a hot idea for you and I to be standing here talking. Yes, perhaps you are right. Here is my address. You can contact me there. Okay, yeah. I'll get in touch with you if I need you. Coming. Oh, Steve, I have uh, found out where this American girl, Helen, lives. Good. Maybe Allison is hiding out there. Come on. The girl's apartment should be just down the street, Steve. Good. Hey, what's that up ahead? Hmm? Oh, <laughs> it is just a street carnival. Yeah, sure packs in the crowds, doesn't it? Yes, yes, it is a traveling carnival. But it always lures many people wherever it goes. Mm, it should. They've really got the complete treatment. Sword swallowers, fakers, <laughs> look, even a Ferris wheel. <laughs> yes. Well, here we are, Steve. According to my information, this girl's apartment is on the first floor. Hey, you know, that sounds familiar. <laughs> Good old American blues. That music must be coming from her apartment. Sounds like it's down at this end of the hall. Come on. Yeah, this must be the one. Helen? Helen? Hey, wait a minute. Listen. Yes. The record? Why does she not take the needle off? Helen, I've got a hunch Helen can't take that needle off the record. Stand back, Milani. Look out now. One more, Steve. Steve, look. Yeah. Steve, that is the American girl. Well, this record is ended. And so is hers. Come in, Melanie, and close the door. Yes. So, Steve Mitchell has accepted you as his contact, huh? Completely, Sigris. Good. Sigris, we know that Steve Mitchell was sent here to help Alison. Why do we not kill Mitchell before Bartek, he... you're a stupid fool. We tried to make that American girl, Helen, tell us where Alison was, and we failed. You were too persuasive with the girl, Bartik. She died. I was acting under your order, Sigris. That is unimportant, Bartik. The point is that since we cannot find Allison, we will let Steve Mitchell find him for us. The message we found in Helen's apartment from Allison to Mitchell will see to that. But we read the message and it meant nothing to us. It means something to Steve Mitchell. Of course, Milani. It tells him where Allison is hiding. That is why we had you take him to Helen's apartment to be sure he would find the message. Stay with Mitchell, Milani. And when he leads us to court Allison, we will kill them both. Commissioner, it's Steve calling in from the call. He's on the phone now. Good, thanks. Hello? Hello, Commissioner. What's the matter? I just came from a dead girl's apartment. What? You know, Commissioner, when you told me I'd be contacted at the White Jade here in Macau, you weren't kidding. What do you mean? I was contacted twice. What? Yeah. 
by a girl named Milani and a guy named Chaska. They both gave me the same story. Hmm. You know which of them is the legitimate contact? I think so. Look, uh, Kurt left a message for me. Uh, what'd the message say? First and second rules of concealment. Oh. Kurt taught me most of what I know about this business, Commissioner. According to him, if you've got to hide, you should choose a place near a crowd. So if you have to run, you can lose yourself in the crowd. That's probably the first rule of concealment. What about the second? He said you should always hide in the vicinity of a friendly contact. But the only contact Kurt had was an American girl, Helen. She's dead. Hey, wait a minute. What is it? I think I've got it. It's just a hunch, but I'm going to try. I'll, I'll keep you posted. You're the proprietor? Oh, yes. I am Dalai. At your service, you seem interested in the carnival. I notice you have been looking it over. Yeah, I've looked it all over except this first wheel of yours here. How about a ride on it? Oh, I am so sorry, sir. But you see the sign, it is out of order. So I see. I also remember it was out of order when I came by here a couple of hours ago on the way to a girl's apartment. Oh, it takes time to make repairs. Yeah, let's see if that engine will operate, huh? Oh, but I have just told you, sir, it is out of order. Yeah, I know, but let's give it a try. I'd like to take a look in some of those baskets oh, on the wheel. Oh, no, sir. Hey, where'd that come from? Uh, I, I do not know, sir. I it was, came from uh... one of those baskets on the wheel. Start that engine. Uh, but I tell you, sir, I it's was... all right, Eli. He's a friend. Do as he says. Uh, very well, sir. <laughs> Here's the one just over our head. This one. Okay, that's far enough. Kurt? Hi, Steve. Are you all right? I collected a bullet in my leg. Did you kill Marco? No. One of their other agents got both of us. Why didn't you come to my room to hide? Well, I knew the police would search the hotels, so I went to Helen's apartment. I left you a message. I found it, Kurt. Near Helen's body. Oh. Well, she was trying to help me, Steve. Oh, sir! There's a policeman approaching. Get down, Kurt. Delay, start that engine. Oh, yes, sir. You are Mr. Steve Mitchell? Uh, yeah. Why? Permit me. I'm Lieutenant Neves of the Macau Police. Well, what can I do for you, Lieutenant? You seem to be interested in a murder which took place at the Hotel Splendid. A man named Marco. Oh? Uh, perhaps you are a newspaper correspondent, as you told the hotel clerk. Perhaps you are an accomplice of the American who disappeared after the killing. You uh, think the American killed Marco? Hmm? His disappearance would seem to be proof of his guilt. I am not here to discuss the merits of our case against the American, Mr. Mitchell. I am here to warn you not to interfere with the police. I'll remember that. I hope you find the killer, Lieutenant Nevis. Thank you. Uh, incidentally, who operates this Ferris wheel? Why... I do, Lieutenant. Why? You're not a very good businessman. The wheel operates, but you still have the out-of-order sign posted. Oh, oh, thank you, Lieutenant. You see, I have just repaired the wheel and am now testing it. Good evening, Mr. Mitchell. Good night, Lieutenant. That was close, Dalai. Oh, indeed it was, sir. Stop the wheel, Dalai. Look, uh, I'd better be getting along. You tell Mr. Allison I'll come back here after the carnival closes and move him to another hiding place.
I went down to the waterfront. I found me a rusty old tramp steamer. I made a little deal with the skipper. Shoved a few bills into his receptive hand. I didn't know whether the plan I'd cooked up would work or not, but I had to give it a try. Melanie was sitting at her piano when I got back to the white jade. I was beginning to think you had forgotten me. Well, I had a couple of errands to do, and when you're not sure who you can trust, they take a little longer. Mm. We must be very careful, Steve. Yeah. Well, I finally found Kurt Allison. You did? Where is he? He's in a safe enough place for the time being, but I've got to get him out of Macau in a hurry. I think I know how to do it. How? I want to buy a lot of curios around town. Curios? Yeah, enough to fill about three large crates, each crate about six feet long. Yes. Yes, I see. I've already made a deal with the captain of a tramp steamer. What kind of a deal? Well, for enough dough, he's not going to pay too much attention to what comes out of one of those crates after he gets to sea. Sounds like a good plan, Steve. I hope it works. When will you try it? I'll be down on the dock with the crates at nine tomorrow morning. Wish me luck. I do. With all my heart. Here. That is for luck. Hmm. Much better than carrying a horseshoe around with me. Oh, Steve. Steve, this has been so wonderful, our working together. This is work? Maybe after your job is finished. Yeah, maybe. That should be finished soon, by nine o'clock tomorrow. Okay, Chaska, get out your muscles. Let's get these crates unloaded onto the pier. Yes, Mr. Mitchell. Okay, we'll take this one first. You got it? Yes. Here we go. Easy now. This crate is very heavy, sir. Yeah. Okay, set it down here. Yes, got it. Now the next one. Got a hold? Yeah. Here we go. Oh, this one is not nearly as heavy as the first. No, easy. Oh, oh, here comes trouble. Ah, Mr. Mitchell. Well, my old friend, Lieutenant Nevis. Stand right where you are. Do not move, either of you. Huh? What is the matter, Lieutenant? Who are you? Why, my name is Kaskas. Mr. Mitchell hired me to drive this truck. I see. Well, Mr. Mitchell, you did not heed the warning I gave you last night not to interfere with the police. What do you mean, Lieutenant? Kami, sit up. Tear those three crates apart. Hey, you can't do that. No. Hey, stop him. Cut it off. Stand back, Mitchell. Stand back. Well, I tell you that... We have definite information that Mr. Allison is in one of these crates. You are trying to smuggle him out of the country. Oh, look. You will regret this deeply, Mr. Mitchell. Look, Lieutenant. There you are. You can see there's nothing inside but curios. There are two other crates, Mr. Mitchell. Faster, Kami. But that's all there is in the other crates, too. Your bluff will not work. He's not in the second crate, either, hmm? And he must be in the third. Look, you're making a mistake, Nevis. Because you have made the mistake. A big mistake. There. The third crate is open. Now we shall see what... 
nothing but curios in that crate either. You know, that's what I've been trying to tell you for the last five minutes, Lieutenant. But uh, I do not understand. Well, the next time you better check a little closer before you go around busting up people's crates. I must uh, apologize for my action. Yeah, okay. Chaska. Ah, uh, yes, Mr. Mitchell. Take all this stuff back to the warehouse. It'll have to be recreated. Well, so long, Lieutenant. <laughs> I did not expect you back from the waterfront so soon. I'm having a silver fizz. Will you join me? No, thanks, Milani. How did things go this morning at the dump? Not so hot. The police swooped down on me. What? That surprise you? What? Well, yes, of course. How could they have found out about your plan? I don't know. Unless you could have told them. Me? Oh, Steve, you're joking. Yeah? Well, looks like our little partnership has come to an end, Milani. So long. But, Steve, I... Stay right where you are. Hmm. I was told in the States that a man with a limp was in on the deal. You must be the boy. Milani, Kurt Allison was not in in any of those crates. What? Surprise, huh? <laughs> it was a little test, Milani. You flunked it. Where is Sigrist? Right here, Milani. Mr. Mitchell, you are a very clever man. Thanks. I presume you're the headman of this unholy three... Your presumption is correct. Yes, you are clever, but your cleverness has its limits. What do you mean? You know where Kurt Allison is hiding, and at present you are our guest. Therefore, we shall shortly know where Kurt Allison is hiding. Bartek the knife. Wait a minute. Stand still, Mitchell. Hey, did you ease up a little bit on that knife? You are a brave man, Mitchell. But even the bravest of men does not relish the entrance of a knife into the stomach. Look, secret. Unless you agree to take us to Kurt Allison, at the count of three, Bartek will bury his knife in you. No. One. I... uh... A little deeper, Bartek. Two. Wait a minute. Yes. Looks like I don't have much choice. A very intelligent observation. Allison's wounded. He's in a room near the waterfront. Take us to him at once. All right. Let's go. Which room is Allison in, Mitchell? This one. Is he armed? No, he's in bed, helpless. No, you are depressed. Well, in this business, one learns that betrayal is better than death. Yeah, I guess so. Incidentally, speaking of death, why did you people kill that guy in Allison's room? We placed Marco in that room to watch Allison, but he betrayed us. Open the door, Bartik. Yes. After you, Mitchell. Okay. Well, there he is, in the bed. Is he asleep? Or unconscious? I will take a look. Wait, this is not an American. Okay, Chaska. It is a trap. Chaska, take secret. Uh, I'll get Bartek. Let go of me. Give me the knife. Do you much good? No. Stand still, Sigris. One move and I'll blow your head apart. Wait, Sigris, I help. Not so fast, Maloney. You let me go. Sit down. Sit down. You still have not won. You cannot get Kurt Allison past our men who are guarding every exit. You're a little late, Maloney. What? is already safely out to sea. He what? Yeah. By now, he's probably made his report to the commissioner by radio. And when Lieutenant Nevis finds out that Kurt Allison saw Bartek kill Marco, I don't think he'll be interested in Kurt anymore. I don't understand what... Ah, that deal with the crates was more than just a trick to expose you, Milani. 
I figured if the police found nothing in the crates the first time they came through, they wouldn't bother with them the second time. I took the crates back to the warehouse. Allison got into one of them there. Stevie. You know, I had you pegged quite a while, Milani. You told me you'd been working with Kurt Allison, but you didn't react at all when I said Kurt had red hair. Jessica reacted, though. He said Kurt had brown hair. You know something? He was right. Then all this time you knew... Uh, I just went along with the gag. As a matter of fact, I needed you to set things up for me with the crates. And after all, you wanted to help me so badly, Milani. I decided the only decent thing would be to let you. have just heard another episode in the exciting new adventure series, Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Dangerous Assignment is written by Bob Reif and directed by Bill Karn, with music by Bruce Ashley. Be with us next week at this time when Brian Donlevy, starring as Steve Mitchell, will embark on another Dangerous Assignment. Here's more good news for mystery fans. Every Sunday, you'll hear action-packed stories to sharpen your wits when, over most of these same stations, NBC brings you High Adventure, Richard Diamond, Christopher London, and Sam Spade. During these stellar shows, you'll hear mystery and intrigue, adventure and high-tension drama to match your powers of observation against the best in detective fiction in solving crimes and unraveling intrigue. There's fast-moving action to lift you from beside your radio and transplant you into the romantic land of mystery and adventure. These four Sunday shows, High Adventure, Richard Diamond, Christopher London, and Sam Spade, are tops in thrills. So be sure to tune to your favorite NBC station for the best mystery and adventure programs. Tomorrow, Bob Hope presents the Look Achievement Awards on NBC. Welcome back. Well, I love the way that Steve Mitchell handled this. And it's nice to see one of Steve's colleagues survive. Because it seems like every time he goes to help someone, he arrives to find them uh, murdered or in the process of being murdered. So this guy lived. He had an interesting idea about where to hide to hide in a very well-populated area where if someone starts to come after you, you can find a crowd and get lost in it. It's an interesting approach, particularly when you consider that there are so many people whose uh, approach to hiding is to run into some very isolated and remote area where they're unlikely to be found. I guess it kind of depends on who is pursuing you as to what is going to be the most effective, as well as what other resources you might have. So I don't know if that's a universal rule, but it, it does have some appeal if you are fleeing from people. Perhaps the most dangerous people you're fleeing from don't have official authority. Like, he didn't want to get caught by the police, but that was hardly his biggest concern. 
Well, now we turn to listener comments and feedback. And Eileen has a comment on YouTube regarding the millionaire uh, murder conspiracy. And she writes, My, how times have changed. Today, someone's killing millionaires. Response, dead silence. Someone sips a drink. Everyone turns back to their work. Well, I don't know quite uh, whether I would totally agree with that, but I do think that being a millionaire isn't the exclusive thing that it once was. According to Kiplinger, around 7% of U.S. households have a net worth in excess of a million dollars. I should hasten to add that my household is not one of them. I was actually the subject of a fake biography page online where someone took like publicly available information from like podcast about pages and book cover jackets and then just made up a bunch of other details including uh, my height, my age, and my net worth, which they put as uh, in excess of a million dollars. No, no, that's that's not true. But it could be true one day and without a whole lot of effort. 20 years from now, if, you know, things go well in life and my house is paid off and the real estate market in Boise keeps going up and I keep saving for retirement, I could end up with a net worth of a million dollars, even if nothing amazing or uh, stupendous happened. Home equity plus uh, savings could equal a million dollars, which certainly accounts for a fair share of millionaires. And you have others who, you know, worth two or three million dollars running decently successful small businesses. Ran, you know, three or four tire stores and then uh, sold them when they turned 55 and, you know, worth two or three million dollars. And so many folks, you know, with net worth of, you know, a few million dollars. They live in nice houses, but they don't live in mansions. They don't have a phalanx of servants, and they don't own yachts or all those things that we typically associate with millionaires. And certainly that wasn't the idea of millionaires in the 1940s and 50s or even earlier. When you get to the turn of the 20th century, and there was, I think, a sort of mystique around the millionaires. I think particularly in the United States, uh, where we didn't have nobility. And the millionaire became this very powerful figure in literature because to have a million dollars, or I guess if you were writing for the United Kingdom, you know, a million pounds just seemed like an unthinkable, unfathomable amount of money. And I think that idea has that being a millionaire is a huge deal. Around the turn of the 21st century, you know, we had the very popular TV series, you know, which I watched very regularly when I was in my teens. Who wants to be a millionaire? Even though if you won the original million dollar prize, you'd get to be a millionaire until the IRS and your state uh, tax commission uh, had their say. And I, one of the first jobs I had, my manager was obsessed with a song by Bare Naked Ladies, which as the group name implies, were made up of fully dressed men 
and their single was uh, If I Had a Million Dollars, which I guess was about eight years old by then. And the punchline of the song was, If I Had a Million Dollars, I'd Be Rich. And the truth is, not really. Particularly as we define rich. I mean, someone who gets a million dollars and acts like uh, the way they think you can act when you're rich will probably be bankrupt like within three to six months. It's a relative position and kind of depends on where you're looking at it from. I, I remember watching the scene in... Annie, the film where Daddy Warbucks explains about himself, and he says that he made his first million when he was 21. And that was a lot of money back then. And I remember when I saw it, I think first time when I was like seven or eight, I thought, that is a lot of money. And certainly Annie couldn't, who's, you know, in the middle of the Great Depression and live, having lived in an orphanage, the idea that a million dollars is not a lot of money would have just been kind of over her head. But understanding the history, you understand what Daddy Warbucks was saying. Because he looked to be in his 50s, so he would have earned his first million around the turn of the century. And that would have been a huge deal. And certainly much bigger than making his first million in the 1930s. Now that said, I'm not certain I agree with Eileen that it's not a big deal if something happens to millionaires. And nobody cares. Because I've seen multiple cases where crime stories became news. And somewhat more than just local news because the person involved was a millionaire. Whether it should or not is another matter. But it definitely does get views if a case is uh, sold as a millionaire case. Even if it's not someone who would be considered like a mega wealthy. Or you would have heard of if not for their infamous uh, crime. There are situations where someone worth 10 or 20 million dollars, who no one would have heard of otherwise, nevertheless makes the news and their story gets covered in terms of the crime they committed or whatever because they're a millionaire. Because even though the finances have changed, our kind of romantic uh, idea of what it means to be a billionaire does remain you know, below the surface, even if math doesn't back it up anymore. And in this case, uh, where with back to the episode, finally, we're talking about some pretty well-to-do uh, people. Even though they're said to be millionaires, I doubt they were worth just, you know, a million dollars and one cent. We are talking about uh, men we would call venture capitalists today, who are who in today's money would probably be putting down tens of millions of dollars into this joint venture to make it happen. So if you had a situation where you had four or five people who were each worth, say, between 100 and 300 million dollars, and they had come together in Paris for some big joint venture, and they started getting killed off, that would be news. But thanks so much for the comment, Eileen. Uh, in a related thought, even though I discussed it on Philo Vance, it's about the issue of prices of things in old-time radio. And Stephen wrote, You discuss the value of things in old-time radio programs. 
I assume about a 10 times increase from old time radio based on inflation calculations I've done. It helps to get a perspective if that $12 hat would be $120 today. Well, thanks so much, Stephen. And I think as a rule of thumb, multiplying by 10 is a pretty good rule. I mean, in terms of accuracy, maybe you're looking at a bit more than 10 times if you're listening to a radio program from the 30s. And maybe you're looking at a bit less than 10 times if you're listening to a program from the 60s. But if you don't want to run around with a CPI calculator while listening to old-time radio, I think that that is a great way to go. Now, of course, in the context of comedy, yeah, you have to, even if you know the amount, uh, it, it really can be a challenge to figure out how to feel about it. Because a $120 hat is certainly uh, an indulgent. But how much of a reaction could be warranted really does depend on the household. You know, like we are talking about earlier. If it's a working class family and the wife's gone out and bought a $12 hat, that's really extravagant. However, if you're dealing with someone who is middle class or upper middle class, and the husband is losing it over a $12 hat. Now, if Osgood Conklin, high school principal, is pitching a fit because his wife bought a $12 hat, you just got to have to say, oh, come on. You're just cheap at this point. And perhaps that's where the humor is, that the guy's a cheapskate. So it can be tricky to understand that and get to contextualize it, and you always have to think about who the character is and what their economic status is and whether it makes sense for them to be upset. And though at that point you may be overthinking the joke, which I guess is never good. All right, so now we're going to talk about our plans for Wednesday in Season 14, and this is going to be simple. We're playing Dangerous Assignment all season, and it will be on on Wednesdays through Season 14 and, and well into Season 15. All right, well, with that, let's go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Jacqueline. Jacqueline's been one of our Patreon supporters since August of 2018, currently supporting us at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support, Jacqueline. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, rate and review it wherever you download your podcast from. We will be back on next Tuesday with our first episode of I Hate Crime. And then we'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of Dangerous Assignment. But coming up, listen for Philo Vance, where... Mr. Vance? Oh, please come in. Thank you, Mr. Vance. Uh, This is Jack Davis. How do you do? Hello. Well, how are you today, Miss Crane? Crane? Jack, did you hear that? Yeah. Even he calls me Crane. Hey, what is this? I might ask the same question. You are Miss Betty Crane. Even Philo Vance calls me Betty Crane. Jack, I I can't stand this any longer. Well, I... Listen, Vance, I came up to talk to you because I needed help. 
But not from you. Not if you call me Betty Crane. I'm not Betty Crane. I never heard of her. But you're the third person today who's called me Betty Crane. Jack, we're getting out of here. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash GreatDetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.